streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney. Um, anything been happening since our last podcast, Eric, that you've been aware of? Anything so. at all? Yeah, pretty Nothing, slow. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's felt pretty boring over here. And uh, and so because, you know, because it's been a bit dull, uh, I have uh, been found myself filling in the time by playing um, the game, you know, Would You Rather? Um, mostly by myself, which is a bit sad. <laughs> because, you know, A, there's a pandemic, and B, I'm mostly by myself anyway. But you know the game, right? So, yeah, normally with a group of people or by yourself, you you would ponder questions like, you know, would you rather have the power of flight or the power of invisibility? Or would you rather be an average person now or a king 2,500 years ago? That kind of thing. So, anyway, I, I thought if this has absolutely no connection with anything at all whatsoever that could possibly have happened in the last week. But but I thought of a good one for you, actually. I thought uh, if you'd like to, to, to play. Um, sure. I don't, uh, know, I don't know if uh, how well you do playing with people other than just yourself but we'll give it a shot well, we'll, sure. see. we'll see we'll see um would you rather and i cannot stress enough how unconnected this is to current <laughs> events would you rather have access to your social media accounts or to the nuclear codes <laughs> hmm. uh that is indeed in no way connected to anything happening in the world um, absolutely nothing at all that is a tough question. I I don't know what I'd do with the nuclear codes, to be honest. I, I don't have much use for them. Um, there, there's value in making sure certain other people don't have them, I suppose. But I, I don't see what I actually get out of having them. And I definitely don't want the power and responsibility. Um, you know, like power is nice to have generally i might i might like a little more power than i currently possess but i don't want that much power uh so so i guess that means i would choose to have access to social media accounts except imagine how much more i'd get done every day if i didn't spend time on Seriously. specifically on twitter uh but as long as twitter exists and i work in the media i kind of need access to twitter to do my job uh, I mean, how would I select the tweet of the week on this week's podcast otherwise, for example? So, yeah, my my answer is I'd rather have social media, but there's a part of me that would like to have neither. Uh, what, what what about you? <laughs> yeah, neither is a really good idea. It's funny. I sort of picture um, Stewie Griffin from The Family Guy having, you know, having the nuclear codes. I picture myself just sitting there sort of plotting revenge against my many enemies and <laughs> right. then just having a directing a targeted strike against somebody and going victory is mine at the end of it i think that's the scenario that i kind of imagine really okay and and the threat of you having the nuclear codes would hold a lot of sway over those people you don't even have to do anything with it uh to, Which, to, to keep them in check right but that's not exactly a lot of fun <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry if i drained all the fun out of your <laughs> would you rather game Oh, well, that is actually interesting playing it with another person. I should try that again. Um, <laughs> this week on the podcast, uh, we will be welcoming back a favorite guest from the Showtime family, International Boxing Hall of Famer, and Showbox blow-by-blow announcer Barry Tompkins. Uh, we will talk to Barry about next week's Showbox card and a variety of other topics as the 2021 boxing schedule shifts into gear. Uh, also, I have completed my homework assignment that you sent me last week. I will be counting down my all-time top five pretty boys who could fight. Uh, we'll also have the tweet of the week in the boxing world, and it is Eric's turn to come up with that this time. And we've got a little bit of news to cover, uh, but we start by looking ahead to a pair of cards on the Showtime schedule this month. Yeah, normally we wouldn't preview fights that are two weeks out, but because there are not one but two Showtime cards the week after this, and there is not one single fight of note anywhere in the world to preview for this coming weekend, we're going to do partial previews for both Showtime cards this week. We'll get the ball rolling and, and, and talk a bit about the fights and fighters while saving our picks and some other material for next week. These are both scheduled triple headers from the Mohegan Sun bubble, a Showbox card on Wednesday, January 20th, and a Showtime Championship boxing event three days later on Saturday, the 23rd. Let's start with the bigger one, the Saturday card. 
We talked a bit last week with Brian Custer about the main event we've all been patiently waiting for, the COVID-delayed 122-pound showdown between Angelo Leo, 20-0, 9 KOs, and Stephen Coolboy Steph Fulton, 18-0, with 8 KOs. On the undercard, in the same division, another battle of unbeatens, Rais the Beast Alim, 17-0, 11 KOs, taking on Vic Pasias, 16-0, with 9 KOs. And in the show opener, it's lightweights Rolando Raleigh Romero, 12 0 with 10 KOs, against Justin Paldo, who is 14 1 with seven knockouts. Uh, Leo versus Fulton is, well, not the first big fight of the year since we got Ryan Garcia versus Luke Campbell on January 2nd, but it's the second big fight of the year and the closest thing to a major 50 50 fight on the calendar in the month of January. Fulton has a new trainer, Wahid Rahim, and he told our friend Steve Farhood that he would explain his trainer change at a later date. Interesting. Uh, He's coming off a 12-month layoff and battled COVID in August. Despite that, I'm seeing Leo listed as a slight underdog, a little more than a 3-2 underdog. Kieran, is Fulton's talent that great that despite the layoff, despite the trainer change, despite Leo dominating Tremaine Williams in August, it makes sense for Fulton still to be the small favorite? I mean, personally, I think it's more of an even money fight. I was I was listening again to our original preview um, when we thought it was going ahead last year, and we both thought it was tight, but we predicted a Fulton decision win, both of us, but close mm-hmm. even then, and that was before Leo really impressed us. But I'm also not that surprised that Fulton's a slight favorite. Um, I think that until they get fully established, Guys like Leo, who are a little bit less flashy, I think they tend to get a little bit less... Lo- I mean, this is more your area of expertise, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like those guys tend to get a little bit less love from odds makers and indeed odds layers early on in their careers than the ones that have the more obvious flash in the ring. Um, and, and, you know, at this stage of his career, I think Fulton's going to have more people likely to want to put more money on him uh, than Leo will. He's got that fan base. He's a charismatic dude. He's he's good for media. Um, he's gotten plenty of hype. Um, you know, he's from Philly, obviously, which has an exceptionally strong boxing culture. And, and I think, you know, that there's been a general sense that he might be the guy with the higher ceiling. Um and, and I also think that sometimes you look at a kid like Fulton and one like Leo and you might be inclined to think, you know, Leo's a bit more of a one-trick pony. If you can figure out how to stop his body punches, you've got a better chance, whereas Fulton might be able to do some more stuff. But obviously, actually trying to stop Leo doing his thing is, is much, much easier said than done. But um, So I'm not super surprised that he is a very slight favorite, you know, with, with the bookmakers, even though I do think Probably, and we'll talk about this more next week, is it perhaps should be a little bit more of an even-money fight. I don't think the layoff plays into it that much because virtually everyone has been forced to endure layoffs of some kind, and we have seen you know, athletes contract COVID and come back. And the last time we saw Fulton on our screens was after he tested positive, and he seemed happy and, and unaffected, right. um, even though it turns out, in hindsight, we've, we've heard that actually he was a bit ill for a while. Um, so, you know, I think this is one of those situations where, like, if Leo's successful this time around, then probably his days of being even a slight underdog are, are over for a while. But it kind of makes sense. I, I I get it in the real world as to why Fulton is still a slight favorite. And, you know, he was a slight favorite going into the first fight. And I think that it's rare that things are going to change that much from... Uh, it, when a fight was initially scheduled to to it actually taking place. So I'm not super surprised. Yeah, I think you're right that the, the styles have a little something to do with it. There's some real tortoise versus hare going on between yeah. these two. You know, Leo is slow and steady. Uh, he's not actually slow, but compared to right. Fulton, he probably is a, a bit slow. Uh, you know, he's slow and steady, and Fulton is the guy with the eye-popping gifts. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure yet who I'm picking in this one, and I'm, I'm glad that we have another week to stew on it before yes, we have to I make those too. picks. I am, too. It was, like I said, it was interesting. I was listening back to the last time, and we, we were definitely, there was a lot of mm, <laughs> uh, even then. That, so that doesn't sound like us. We're usually so decisive. I know. Lots of, what are you going to pick? <laughs> <laughs> um, among the undercard fights, uh, much as we both have been loving us some Raiz the Beast Alim, uh, let's save him for next week. Um, I'm curious for now uh, for your thoughts on Raleigh Romero. Uh, he's undefeated. 
but neither of us think he deserves to be. Uh, he won a unanimous decision over Jackson Marinas on one of the August 2020 uh, Fight Sphere cards, uh, but we both had it 116-112 for Marinas, and we're not the only ones. We thought the Marinas won. Uh, Justin Poldo, who faces Romero two Saturdays from now, said he thought himself that Marinas won that fight. Um, Romero has talked openly since about needing to improve his jab and his angles and his counterpunching. And he also said he struggled with fighting in an empty re- arena without the adrenaline rush that comes from having fans, which is interesting. It's a topic that we've talked about yeah. with fighters and others quite a bit uh, over the last few months. Um, with some time to reflect on it now, uh, do you think this was just a bad night for Romero back in August. Is it enough for us to say that it was a sign that he actually wasn't worthy of the hype? Uh, And what does he need to do against Baldo to get back on that hot prospect track? So Romero's fight against Marinez, I think it was a bad night for him. And I think it was a sign that he isn't quite (laughs) worthy of the level of hype he was getting. Now maybe the hype has come down to meet him. Um, You might recall... I actually predicted Marinez would win that fight because he struck me as very polished and capable of taking advantage of how raw and wild Romero is. He did that despite not getting the win. According to CompuBox, Romero was outlanded in jabs, outlanded in power shots, and outthrown by a wide margin. And particularly troubling was that you and I both had Romero losing the last four rounds in a row. He, he faded as the fight went along. So yes, it was a bad night. He underperformed in part because of the opponent, in part because he'd been fighting six rounders, and now suddenly he had to go 12, and he wasn't really ready for that. I like that he's talking about what he needs to improve on. I yeah. think he knows he got away with one and, and is trying to learn from it. I'm sensing some humility there, which is a good thing. I think Raleigh Romero is a good prospect, but not quite an elite prospect. And he's 25 years old, which is Mm. young enough not to be in a rush, although not really what you'd consider young for a prospect. Um, So enter Justin Paldo, who I think is a calculated slight step back by Romero's team. Uh, Marinez was a little too much too soon. They're dialing it back just a bit. Paldo has a good jab, solid fundamentals, but he's not as fast as Romero. He's not hard to hit. Again, th- this feels to me like Romero's people saying, we don't want an easy fight for him, mm. but we want one slightly easier than Marinez, where our guy should be able to win and look better. So to answer your question of what gets him back on the hot prospect track I think it's any kind of clear-cut win here. Now, ideally, Romero wins and looks absolutely spectacular doing so. But I think if he wins, period, and doesn't have to sweat it out on the scorecards, I think that means the hype train can move forward. Um, by the way, did you see what uh, Paldo's nickname is? Oh. He's the Million Dollar Man. Uh, so, uh, so don't put it past him that he'll have Andre the Giant step in to defeat Romero <laughs> on his behalf and then hand him the belt. Will he have a fake Undertaker waiting in the wings? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> make his own uh, million-dollar belt if he has to. The, <laughs> the possibilities of where to go with this are endless. Um, okay, we'll uh, hit on another storyline or two on that card next week. But let's talk a bit about the Showbox card three days prior. It was originally supposed to be a quadruple header, but one fight fell out. So it is a triple header with five undefeated fighters, four of them making their Showbox debuts. So we'll be seeing plenty of intriguing new faces. The main event at 140 pounds, a 10-rounder, pits Yes Gabriel Solano of Colombia, 15-0 with 10 KOs, against Mike Quan Williams, who gets to fight in his home state of Connecticut. He's 15-0-1 with seven knockouts. Also on the card, a pair of featherweight eight-rounders. Jose Nunez of Panama, 11-0-1 with four knockouts, takes on California-based Armenian Aram Avagian, 10-0-1 with four knockouts. And Martino Jules, 10-0 with two KOs from Allentown, Pennsylvania, meets Puerto Rican Pedro Marquez Medina, the only fighter on this card with a loss on his record. He's 12-1 with eight KOs. The two boxers on this card who fought on Showbox before are Solano, who won a split decision over Elias Damian Araujo in June 2019, 
and Avagian, who you'll recall fought on that March 13th showbox card in Minnesota after the pandemic had shut down all other sporting events. He rallied from knockdowns suffered in each of the first two rounds to win a majority decision and stay unbeaten. I'll give you a wide open question here, Kieran. Based on whatever little bits and pieces you've seen of these guys and read about these guys, which fighter of the six on this showbox card are you most eager to see in action? So, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I mean, especially a full, what are we now, two weeks out from the card um, before having done the full deep dive into everybody. Nobody right. leaps out at me to the extent that I classify myself as eager. But at first blush, I'm probably most intrigued by Mike Quinn Williams, who's, you know, as you mentioned, is one half of the main event. Comes with a solid amateur pedigree, including Connecticut Silver Gloves. Um, he's already had quite uh, a lot of attention, a lot of media attention paid to him, quite a few articles as he was coming up. Um, and he's been up against decent opposition uh, already. Not necessarily anyone who makes you sit up and take notice, but the one thing I did uh, that sort of leapt out at me when I was looking at his record, he's got 16 pro fights. And his last eight have all been against guys with winning records. And even the last three times he took on opponents with losing records, they had vastly more experience. In his sixth outing, he faced someone with 25 pro fights. In his seventh, someone with 32. And in, in his eighth, someone with 28. Yep, losing records all, which means they'd lost a lot of those fights. But uh, I suggest that maybe he hasn't been babied to get to this point. Um, that said, he scored four KOs in his first nine bouts and just one since. So maybe he's already finding his level. Um, there isn't much video of him yet that I found, but that one KO he scored in recent fights is one of them. And it was good. It was a good first round stoppage. Um, so what little I've seen of him, the eye test doesn't scream future champion, but he looks solid. I, I guess intrigued more than eager, okay. I think. You know, he's, he's managed by Jackie Callan, uh, name from the past. Mm-hmm. Um and look, Gordon Hall does have a habit of finding diamonds in the rough here. So I, I am. I'm intrigued and I'm curious to see what we might have there with him. What about yourself? Well, Williams is a fine pick. And uh, and so I'll, I'll take the guy who will be standing across the ring from him, Solano, okay. because I've seen him once before and I enjoyed the experience very much. Uh, and, and my betting bankroll enjoyed it as well. Uh, <laughs> to, to jog your memory, when, when Solano fought Araujo, uh, I caught the odds makers asleep at the wheel. They made Solano a three to one underdog in a fight where we felt he should have been a slight favorite. Uh, so he made me some money, uh, albeit by very narrow decision. Uh, but it, it was a very fun fight. We said at the time that we want to see Solano on Showtime again. Um, but I'm curious to see him against a different style here. Uh, Araujo was a pain in the ass pressure fighter and the southpaw Solano eked by him on skill and sharp punching. It was a really entertaining fight, but if I'm being honest, Araujo probably gets more of the credit for making it fan-friendly, so I'm eager to see what we get here from Solano against a guy with just as much skill as he has, maybe more, um, just as extensive an amateur background. And it seems Williams is the slightly bigger man, uh, as Solano has spent most of the last few years at lightweight, and this fight is at 140. So this time... Unlike last time, Solano probably should be a small underdog, uh, and I'm curious to see if he can rise to the occasion and go to 2-0 and on Showtime. There you go. All right. Well, that's our initial call on the Showbox card. Uh, but let's switch now to the man who will be making the actual call on the Showbox card, uh, Boxing Hall of Famer, good friend of the podcast, the one and only Barry Tompkins. Barry, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Oh, great to be with you guys. It really is, especially during these times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you'll be calling your first fights of 2021 about a week and a half from now. And uh, the main event of that showbox card that you'll be calling looks like a toss-up or, or close to it, at least, uh, on paper. Uh, Yeas Gabriel Solano is someone you watched eke out a split decision back in 2019 in his showbox debut. He's the more established fighter here, but it seems like his opponent, Mikewan Williams, is being treated more as the A-side, if there is one. I'm seeing articles written about him. He's 22 years old with an excellent amateur career. Have you had a chance, Barry, to to watch much video of Williams yet? And can you sense whether he's ready for this step up against Solano? 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Uh, yeah, I have watched Williams. You know, it's hard to tell, and I think the reason that it's hard to tell is that everybody, almost everybody on this card, is coming off a long layoff, you right. know, and we don't know what effect that's going to have. So, I mean, I think he's a talented guy, you know. Um, he's fighting a left-hander. That that will be interesting, but he fought a left-hander the last time out, too, and, and he won that fight, you know. So, uh, Solano, on the other hand, hasn't, he, you know, he's only had one fight in more than two years. Right. So, I, I think really... I can't even say in this case styles make fights because I think what may make or, or not make this fight is the fact that both of them are coming off long layoffs. And in fact, I think that could be said about this whole card. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it's, it's an interesting factor to, to consider with all of these fights we're seeing is how, how do different fighters respond to uh, how long they've been off and whether some guys have an advantage of they did fight once uh, last year or, or they haven't fought in over a year. It's going to vary a bit from, from guy to guy and, and play a big role in some of these matchups. Right, right. That's, yeah, I, I think that's really as much of a story as anything else on this card, you know. I mean, it's a great it's a great card, I think. And obviously I have a bias, but you know, there's one loss amongst six guys yeah. on our on our cards, on you know, on our three-fight card. And and that, you know, that's what this series is all about. I think I, I think what what this show is really encompasses what the mission of the series is. I really right. do. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it because you can you know, I could sit here with you guys, and I'm sure you guys have already done. You can make a case for any one of these guys winning a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. indeed. Um, there's another fighter on this card who's been on Showbox before, and relatively recently, in fact, Aram Avagian. And he fought on that final card before boxing stops for a few months. He got dropped hard in rounds one and two. But he somehow rallied to, to win an eight-round decision, despite, you know, digging that huge hole for himself. So, so we know he's got heart. But we also, you know, feel he has suspect defense. Are you hoping to see a more consistent boxing performance from him against Jose Nunez? Or would you be very happy just to see another sloppy slugfest? Well, I mean, if it's in him to have that kind of performance. You know, he obviously he's he's not very experienced. He doesn't fight like he's very experienced. He's a, a kind of a straight ahead guy. He's going to keep coming. He's he's wild. You know, he has a real tendency to, to drop that left hand, you know, and... Uh, you know, I, I think if he's going to really make a statement, he's going to have to improve, just stylistically improve. So it'll be interesting. You know, I, again, I, it's hard. I don't know what to make of him, really. He did show mm-hmm. a lot of heart in that fight. I don't think he was really hurt in either knockdown, but, you know, he also wasn't fighting a guy who was a big banger. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't I don't know. I, you know, I'm not sure what Nunez – will will bring to the dance uh he's kind of an unknown quantity also and, and also another guy you know who hasn't fought he, it's been more than a year right. since he's fought so again it's a pick em fight for me and i i in all candor i feel i've got to see a little bit more from aram than i've seen in the past right well, well, pivoting away from this upcoming Showbox card, um, I want to ask you about uh, that one that, that Kieran just referenced that Avagian fought on uh, March 13th, 2020, when you guys broadcasted from Hinckley, Minnesota, two days after everything else in the world pretty much grinded to a halt. Yeah. Look, looking back now about 10 months later, what was that week like for you? Uh, can, can you recall whether there was any COVID concern before you flew out to Minnesota? Just walk us through sort of the series of events as you remember them from that week. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, concern may be too strong a word. I don't know that there was concern, but there was certainly I, – I, one thing I, I distinctly remember from a couple of days before the fight, one of the trainers, and I honestly don't remember who it was, but, you know, he came over to me and shook my hand like, you know, like 
I mean, I knew him, and it's something that in normal cir- circumstances you would do. And I remember thinking, wow, I wonder if I should have done that, yeah. you know. And and that was like the first kind of awakening, you know. Um, now, you know, you have to understand where we were. Hinkley, Minnesota has been shut down since 1948. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's not a lot going on in Hinkley, Minnesota. Uh, and the casino was, was pretty empty. And and as I recall, I don't believe we had fans at that site. Correct. So, um, you know, it it was uh, it was really early on, but there was certainly there was certainly an awareness of what was happening, and, and that was all anybody was talking about. But that was you know at that point before you started doing things routinely, you know, like keeping a distance and mm-hmm. you know not not hugging people, you know. So it was just it was right at that early point in this whole pandemic that you were trying to figure out what was the right thing to do, and what, what was not the right thing to do. But I can tell you this, I was never happier to get out of there and get home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Of so, course, so you... I would have said that before the pandemic. Also. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you guys go to some uh, real gems of places, don't you? <laughs> I'm telling you, we, you know, we were in, you know, Sloan, Iowa, which is, of course, you know, the Paris of Iowa. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, we did last year Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. We did some real garden spots last year, and uh, you know, it's uh, there was a time when we were going to really interesting places, you know, and and all of a sudden, in fact, early in the series, they were doing a lot of fights in England, and we were in the Caribbean a couple of times, and yeah, now we're uh, you know any any place with a population more than I would say five thousand is pretty much off for us. Right you know, <laughs> first time I was in Sloan, Iowa, I looked out my hotel room and it was wintertime in Sloan, Iowa, and I swear I could see Ohio. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, boy, you talk about, you know, the, all of us are kind of foodies on this, on this series, which right. is kind of fun because we do all hang out and all eat together and all that sort of stuff. And I, and I looked up the best restaurants in in Sloan, Iowa, you know, and so the first one was the casino where we're where we were doing the fight, and and oh by the way, they have an eight dollar all you can eat buffet, you know, and I think with lobster it's twelve dollars, you know, <laughs> but wow. and that was the number one place. That was the number one place in town to eat, and the number two place was Subway. Wow, <laughs> and I, and I and I'm not sure which is uh, safer right now, buffet eating or Subway eating. It's right. uh, it's pretty exactly. close. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, the yeah. buffet was. I was off. I never did walk even walk into that room. I thought you can get tomaine poisoning just walking into the room. <laughs> right. you know? We uh, we have a caller buzzing in. It is the Sloan Iowa Chamber of Commerce apparently wanting <laughs> yeah, to uh, yeah. contribute to the conversation. I'm sorry, the Chamber of Commerce is one person. <laughs> <laughs> we met him. He's Bob. <laughs> yeah, he's a very good friend of mine. <laughs> That's right. Um, but look, so after that, after Hinkley, Minnesota, you had a a very long layoff because I think you know your show box returned a fair bit after the Showtime Championship boxing came back. And a right. couple of related questions. I, on the one hand, I assume you found yourself, or did you find yourself mixing missing boxing a lot? Uh, during that time, or were you kind of happy to have the downtime? And, and, and also, I'm curious, like, when it was time to come back, it's hard to believe, but you're 80 years old, and you're right yeah. in that high-risk category for COVID. And, and I wonder whether there was any hesitancy on your part about coming back, or whether you were just chomping at the bit and ready to do it. Well, you know, I've always been chomping at the bit. You know, this, this period, I had never, honest to God, in the last, and I'm not exaggerating, 40 years, I'd never been home without a trip of some sort for more than two weeks. And all of a sudden here we are, you know, in this thing. And it's like, I'm looking around saying, what's next, you know, give me something, you know? And, and the one thing I have to say about, about finally, when we did get back to work with, with, on the Showbox series, as you said, Showtime championship boxing had already been going. So the protocols were all in order. And, and I really, I, I, I've, I've not felt, I don't feel any uh, any problem with flying, you know, because the airlines have really done a good job of how they do things and, you know, pumping fresh air into the plane and all that sort of stuff. So I never was really concerned, frankly, about the flying part of it. And the protocols that Showtime has uh, with Mohegan Sun are 
enough to really make you feel safe. You know, I, I, I can honestly tell you, I never was looking around saying, what am I doing here? You okay. know, now it's no fun, you know, mm. because you, you get picked up at the airport, your driver is not supposed to talk to you. You know, it's a three hour ride from, for me, at least from Newark to Mohegan sun. When you check into the hotel, they literally walk you to your room. Okay. You can't go out of your room until the next morning when you go get tested. And then they don't get the test results back until eight, eight or nine o'clock that night. So, you don't even see anybody, you know, I don't, I, I didn't even see, you know, Steve or, or Raul until the day of the fight, you know, mm-hmm. all our fighter interviews are on zoom. So it's safe. And, and I feel, I don't really feel, you know, like, why am I doing this? Uh, because I really do think their protocols are terrific, Right. but it's no fun. And truly that's, that's really part of what this whole package is for me, to be honest with you. Mm, mm. how are you I'd be curious like how are you doing things like when you're in that situation how are you even eating are you getting like room service leaving food outside the door kind of a deal or yeah that's all you can do for the first 24 hours at least okay and then you could go there, there are places there where you can go you know order food and pick it up and take it back to your room but there's no nobody gathers you know what i mean yeah. and especially our crew on on showbox is um you know i miss sounds like I'm puffing the show, you know, but we're like family. We really are. You know, everybody's been together for so long and, and we all know each other so well that when we're on the road, we hang out together. We always have dinner together the night before the show, always, mm. you know, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of laughs and everybody, everybody got, I've never in all the years I've been doing this, I've never worked with a, with a crew of people like the one on Showbox. It's one of the reasons that it keeps me coming back. I mean, I, I really enjoy it. I not only enjoy doing the fights, but I enjoy being there and, and being with people I really like, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and in fact, you know, you mentioned, you know, I'm 80 years old, but I, but everybody on the crew, you know, with the exception of Steve and a couple of other people, uh, Gordon Hall, you know, are half my age. And I really mm-hmm. like that, right. you know, <laughs> I mean, I think it kind of keeps me, you know, at least, I'm not trying to tell you I am young, but at least it keeps me thinking young. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a great series. And because of all of the pandemic, basically all we're doing is the fights, you know. So and it's surreal doing it with no audience too. That's yeah. that's another really interesting aspect of it. Yeah. It's it, it's all it's all quite different than than what we've been used to and what you've been doing your whole career uh but the boxing world uh soldiers on and fights are happening and and we'd love to get your thoughts on on some of the hot topics in boxing as 2021 is is moving ahead here um let's start with these four young lightweights that everybody is talking about uh last week kieran dubbed them the four princes uh and and i think that could stick uh <laughs> well put yeah, yeah. Um, I, I told him he needs to trademark that and lock up a book deal now. I but... like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, so Javante Davis, Teofimo Lopez, Ryan Garcia, and Devin Haney. Um, if you had to guess, based on the limited information we have so far, who's going to be the Sugar Ray Leonard of this group, the fighter who history remembers as the one who, who rose to the top? Yeah, you know, that's it's it's a tough one because – I think I think Javante Davis. We know what he is. He's a known quantity now. The other three guys, I think, are still getting as good as they are. I think they're all still getting better. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not sure I can look down the road and say which one of those three guys. And I'm not I'm not saying Javante Davis may not emerge as the best of all of them if he keeps his mind on business. But um, but I they're all they're all supremely talented, and for all of them to come along. At the same time, I think it can do nothing but help the sport as long as we see them start to fight each other. Yes. Right. Yep. That's that's the key, and they're starting to call each other out, which is which is a good sign at, at least. But uh, yeah, hopefully they'll take it from words to actions uh, in the next few months. Yeah. yeah, you really hope so. I, I I think. I mean, I think you know the boxing public and the public in general. You know, I, I think those guys. Especially, you know, like Haney and, and uh, Garcia are such big personalities. You know, they may be able to, I'm not sure anybody can capture the general audience like Sugar Ray Leonard did coming out of the Olympic Games in 76. But, uh, but these guys have the ability. You know, they're, 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 they come across like good guys. And everything I know about, about them, they are pretty good guys. 
you know, as long as they could keep it together, you know, they're on that. Right now, they could both go either way. You know, both. When I say both, I mean Garcia and Haney. Right. Uh, they could they could both go either way. You know, in fact, Garcia, you know, he's a really good kid, and I I I'm a little concerned, and maybe concerned isn't the right word, but I hate the idea that he's trying to have this image of himself as this tough guy. You know, right. I think he would be he would he would play it much better if he took the Oscar De La Hoya route or the Sugar Ray Leonard route. Mm. you know, and played the good, good guy, good looking America's sweetheart kind of guy, you know? And, and I think instead he's trying to play this tough guy role, you know, which I think ultimately could hurt him because he is a good guy. And he's, you know, in, especially in today's world of social media, he's a giant, Yeah, you know? So, and that's just an aside and it's just an observation. You know, I think he would serve himself well to just play that nice guy role. You know, right. tough, yeah. tough, nice guy, you yeah. know, and, and Haney, uh, I think he's really getting better in leaps and bounds. I, I wasn't sure how much pop he had when I first saw him and it's turned out that he really does have, um, and Lopez, you know, is, is a guy, there's no telling how good this guy can be, yeah. you know? So, and, and, you know, the other thing too, is I think if they fight each other, it it's not going to be this big black mark on the loser either. I I think there could almost, you know, there could be this kind of round robin thing that could go on for quite a while, you know, you know, like Leonard Hagler and Hearns, you know, the prospects for, uh, for the sport, I think are probably as good now as they have been in a long time, because it's become, as we all know, it's become a niche sport. It's not a mainstream sport anymore, but, but those guys, I think at least a couple of them have the ability to go beyond the boxing audience. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Definitely. And talking of other big fights that'd be great for boxing that the world really wants to see, obviously the one that comes up is Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua. And and Eric and I were talking about it last week and we both we both came down strongly in favor of waiting until there can be large crowds and doing it at Wembley Stadium. And it's got to be in England, we figure, not someplace like Saudi Arabia or Singapore. Do you feel the same way or would you rather just see the fight happen rather than risk it never happening at all? No, I absolutely share your thoughts. I, I think it needs to be in front of a large audience. And, of course, Wembley Stadium is the perfect place. You know, Joshua has, has drawn crowds at Wembley Stadium for lesser opponents than Fury, you know. And uh, it, I think it's a natural. It's absolute, absolute natural. The only question I would have is if they fight at Wembley Stadium, will it get the kind of ink here in the States to go mm. beyond the boxing audience? Mm. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's that, that's a good question that I hadn't thought about, that uh, obviously it's gigantic in England, uh, but uh, does doing it there prevent it in some way from becoming quite as mainstream over on our side of the pond? Yeah, just because we're so chauvinistic, you know, right. I, I, you know, <laughs> oh, it's over there, you know, it's over there, nobody cares, right. you know. Um, but I say I, I agree with you guys. That's where it has to be, and, and you know, that's a fight. And how many of them do we really have? Where uh, setting myself a aside as being in the boxing business it's a fight that were i just a casual fan or not a fan at all i would want to watch because you actually go into that fight saying i'm really not sure who's going to win this right right Right. and we don't have that very many times in all candor (laughs) yeah yeah especially for heavyweight championship of the world i mean it's 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 a big fight absolutely yeah yeah. Absolutely. I want to get your thoughts, uh, Barry, on the uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame class that was just announced. Um, Mayweather, Klitschko, and Andre Ward are the ones who are going in. Uh, Miguel Cotto and James Tony missed the cut. Do fans of either Cotto or Tony have a right to feel aggrieved, in your opinion, that those guys aren't first ballot Hall of Famers? Well, you know, I think the biggest problem they have is the first three guys you mentioned. <laughs> yep. you yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you, how can you argue with any of those three guys? So no matter what would happen in this year, in, those two, Cotto and, and Tony, are going to be fourth and fifth, you know. And uh, I think they'll both get in. I, right. I really do. Uh, but But I don't think there's a real grievance to be had over the fact that they didn't get in over, you know, the three other guys that you mentioned. Right. Mm. Just just mm. a bit of bad timing, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's how I lucked out. There was nobody else, you know. <laughs> if you're thinking about being 80 years, 
by being 80 years old, you know, everybody else has died. I was the only one standing. You know? <laughs> that's our that's our strategy as well, right. by the way. Right. Yes, right. exactly. You hang, you know, you hang around long enough. Yeah. And, and all these places will say, so who should we honor? You know, well, how about Eric Raskin? You know, right. <laughs> nobody's looked at him in 40 years. You know? <laughs> that, believe it or not, leads us into the final question, um, because <laughs> we've all been to the Hall of Fame as fans and, and visitors and media members. But of course, you've been there as an inductee. What can you tell us about what that experience is like and what piece of advice would you give to any of those entering the hall next year about, you know, being there for induction weekend? You know, gather it all in, savor every Mm. minute, you know, Mm. because you're never going to be, you're never going to feel as important as you will that weekend Mm -hmm. in in, in Canastota. You know, it's, uh, you know, I live in a world, I live out in California and most of the people that I know don't even know what I do. You know, they're not boxing fans. I, I would I would I can honestly tell you I write a newspaper column for the paper in my county here the Marin Independent Journal and I get recognized more for writing that column than I do for doing boxing. Wow! So and it's just the world I live in. You know what I mean? So right. so you know I never expect I, I truly I don't ever expect people to recognize me on the street or you know in airports or any place else for that matter. And when they do, frankly, I'm surprised. But on that weekend, you know, it's like the whole the whole city is just alive. It's not a city; yeah. it becomes a city on that right. weekend, and it's really a town, you know. But but every boxing fan they come from all over the world, and I, I probably signed more autographs in that on that weekend than I have in the rest of my life combined. <laughs> wow, you know. <laughs> Uh, so it, you know, they really make you feel important. They do it really well. And, you know, and one thing that's really kind of nice about it, even though it's this international boxing hall of fame and you're being recognized for, you know, for what you do, not only by the city of, or the town of Canastota, but by the whole world, theoretically, but there's still a certain small town atmosphere about it, even during yeah. that weekend. That's really nice, you know, and, and you really, you have to kind of stand there and, and, take it all in, you know, and I think it's easy to be overwhelmed. And I, I think that would be true even for guys that have been around the track, like Mayweather and Ward and all those guys. I, 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 you're never going to feel as loved as you will that weekend. And you, and you, you want to really be prepared to, to stop, take a breath, look around you and take it all in. Wow. Yeah, that is great. I mean, I always, it is a wonderful experience and Eric and I mention on the podcast all the time to fans who haven't been that they've got to go if they possibly can at least once in their life and uh, for me the the parade of champions always struck me as the thing that must be the thing that feels the most surreal and when you're sitting there in a convertible with your name on the side I mean and and people are lining literally lining the streets of Canastota that's got to be an extraordinary feeling absolutely absolutely you know I, I my only experience prior to that was I was once the Grand Marshal of Petaluma, California, in a parade, <laughs> and I'm and I'm in this car, and all I can hear is people saying, "Who the hell is that? Who's that guy? <laughs> Who the hell is he?" You know, <laughs> you know. So yeah, you know, for for this kid, it was. I mean, it, it, the whole weekend, <laughs> the whole weekend is surreal. It it yeah. it really is, you know. And like, like I told you, you know, I I. I've always thought of my job as, and I learned this when I first got in the business by a guy who taught me everything I know, Don Klein, who's a local guy here, but, and he always used to tell me, you know, your job is to chronicle the game or the fight, whatever happens with you. I wasn't doing boxing then, but he said, your job is to chronicle the event, you know, and if you do your job right, nobody's going to notice you. You're like the referee. You know, if you do it right, nobody notices. So that's always kind of been my credo. You know, Uh, if I do my job right, nobody notices, you know. And and so I've never been taken with being, you know, the guy, you know, or never tried to put myself ahead of the event. So when you're in that and being in that situation and having people really recognize you, you know, it, it it was it for me, it's just. I never aspired to that. I never, I've never thought of myself as, 
you know, I hate to even use the word, but star or anything like right. that, you know, and in, on that weekend, you feel like one. You, the, the people make you feel that way. You can't help it. So for that one little weekend of my life, it was it was nice to, to be a star, you know. <laughs> right. And that's that's great that the, the for you to have gotten into the Hall of Fame is a, is a nice sign that you put your head down, you do your job, you do it well, and you're right. not you're not out self-promoting. You can still get rewarded in the end and recognized for the work that you've done. Yeah, you know that's honestly that's that was the most important thing to me. I've I've always thought I could care less what Joe Sixpack thinks. Mm. You know, I, I when I get off the air, I know if it was a good show or a bad show, right. and I don't need some Yahoo on Twitter to tell me. <laughs> you know, either way, whether it was great or whether it sucked, you know. Right. So, right. you know, I I've done enough of it that I think I know. So, um, so to, you know, to all I care about really is that my peers think I'm a pro. You know. Right. That's all I've ever aspired to. That's all I've ever, you know, if you guys think I can do my job, that's important to me. You know, if the guy who's on his, you know, fourth beer sitting at home watching me on television <laughs> thinks I do my job well, I don't care. You know? <laughs> so, well, really, you know, I care about my peers. Well, some, sometimes we're both. We're, uh, we're you know, we're, yeah. we're fellow media members <laughs> and we're, we're on our fourth beer. <laughs> So. <laughs> you know that's okay. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, well, you know, Barry, you're in our podcast guest hall of fame. That's Definitely. for sure. You're well, I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I won't do a big long speech. I promise. <laughs> uh, look, mate, thank you so much for joining us. It's always just an absolute delight to have you on. So, uh, best of luck on the twentieth, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks a lot. I look forward to seeing you guys in person yes, at some point. Yes, definitely. definitely. You know? Yes. <laughs> All right, the guys. Thanks so much. Always good Caribbean. to be with you. Yeah, the next time Box <laughs> actually does the Caribbean, we need a podcast from there. Ah, I think. There you go. Yes. Yes. We, yes, we all need to be there. <laughs> I think so. I think so. It's a day. <laughs> thanks thanks again, Barry. Really appreciate thanks it. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. Always great to talk to Barry. The man is a treasure. Uh, all right, uh, Kieran, it's time to hand in your homework. Here comes the <laughs> inaugural edition of Mulvaney's Top 5. Last week, I assigned you this topic, spinning off of Ryan Garcia, your all-time Top 5 Pretty Boys Who Could Fight. Uh, from there, the parameters and criteria were up to you. So uh, count us down from 5 to 1, Kieran. This was a good assignment. It was... Um... A little tricky. It's fortunate that, you know, the two principal criteria, how to define pretty boy and how to define could fight, are somewhat <laughs> malleable, open to interpretation and up to me. Um, so so all of these people in my list, of course, are or were professional boxers. And so by definition, they could fight somewhat. <laughs> right. um, finding the balance between prettiness and fightiness within that context <laughs> of being a professional boxer was a tad tricky. Uh, there were quite a few who could have made the list. Uh, I'll have a brief honorable mentions okay. list afterwards. Um, but anyway, right, here it goes. And, and you might feel like I've stretched it a little bit uh, in one category or another, but we'll see. Um, so I'm going to slightly cheat and with number five. We'll begin with an actual pretty boy. Um, pretty boy Floyd Mayweather. Ah, um, yes. Maybe it's the veneers giving him that bright smile these days, but I don't know. I think Floyd's a pretty good-looking dude. Um, <laughs> I uh, I will say I did consult with some estrogen Americans over this list. Okay. Um, and Floyd was a little bit of a controversial pick. The um, you know the one sort of admitted that he was pretty good looking. One actually said he was fugly, which I'm not sure I agree with, mm, but there okay. you go. Um, and then there was another who refused to even look at a photo of him because of his domestic abuse. But um, there's no question that the man could fight. Um, whether or not you think he was a pretty boy, he actually was, for a long stretch of his career, pretty boy. And his <laughs> boxing bona fides are beyond dispute. Uh, so I figure he has to go on the list. Yeah, that's a good, you took advantage of a good loophole there. He definitely <laughs> uh, counts as a pretty boy uh, based on the nickname, if nothing else. So uh, yeah, okay, good start. All right, next one. May seem to some folks like a bit of a stretch, and it is. It's Gary Stretch. Huh? Not many boxing fans outside of those who watch boxing in, in Britain in the late 
80s through the mid-90s will actually even know who Stretch was. But he was a solid 154, 160-pounder. He won the British 154-pound title, and he challenged Chris Eubank for his middleweight belt, and he gave a good account of himself. He was actually up on the cards uh, through five before being stopped in the sixth. Um, but you might think, well, maybe he doesn't quite satisfy the definition of, of being someone who could really fight. But, you know, he did fight for a world title, like I said. The reason I included him is not only could he be said to have had model looks, but while he was boxing, he was actually a model for the likes of Calvin Klein and, as Nomi Malone would have said in Shogol's Versace. And <laughs> since retiring from the ring with a record of 29 and 2, he's made a living as an actor. So I felt the fact that he was a guy who actually was modeling while getting his face punched in might be a little bit lower than some on the fightiness element, but he definitely does well on the prettiness side. Wow. All right. Well, count me among those who was totally unfamiliar with Gary Stretch, uh, but I guess I'll, uh, I'll have to do a little do a little deep dive here and get to know more about this, uh, this guy, and uh, I'll take your word for it that he could fight. It sounds based on his record and how far he went that uh, he could at least compete with the, the top guys, so that's uh, reasonable okay. enough. Okay. Third man on my list I think is comp- going to be completely uncontroversial positively marvelous yes it's sergio maravilla martinez um objectively good looking man i think and you know did, did you check with estrogen americans on that uh yeah that was that was that was okay. a sweet that was okay a all right um i almost didn't feel the need to throw that one to the jury but there you go and <laughs> come on he was the middleweight champion of the world he fits comfortably in both the pretty boy and could fight camps of this list and not even much to say about that i think that's a completely non-controversial pick uh, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, he was, uh, well, I, I guess uh, when I, when I hear your whole list, I'll, I'll sort of uh, assess it some more what I didn't, I didn't make my own list, but I sort of put together okay. who I thought in no particular order would be my top five. And he was the sixth name that I thought of. So he may or may okay. not have quite made my top five, but, uh, hard to object with him making yours. Just out of curiosity, and we'll talk about it more. Have we got to anybody in your top five yet? Yeah, I, I would have put pretty boy Floyd on there. Okay. You just, for the fun of using the loophole, I would have had to include okay. him. <laughs> All right. Another one who is an easy pick is Oscar De La Hoya. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, he could Oscar fight. Uh, and I know that he had people who wanted to detract from him. You know, the fact that he went 0-5 in his biggest fights against Trinidad and Mayweather and Mosley and Pacquiao, you know, somewhat disguises the fact that he could really fight, especially as he should have gone probably 2-3 and three in those five fights. And by the time of the Pacquiao fight in particular, it was just a physical mess but at his peak he was truly one of the very best and a deserved hall of famer he carried the sport on his back for a few years and a large part of that that he was able reason he was able to do that was yes he was a good fighter but also he was a handsome dude um and he attracted the ladies the octave level of the crowds at his fights (laughs) was that much higher than anybody else's you had to be there at an oscar fight to just know that the sound was different um guy was a damn rock star at his peak. Oscar's got to be on this list. I think that's a terrible choice. The guy couldn't fight at all. <laughs> Schmo Panelaquito could be him. Hell. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, no, it doesn't belong here in any way. Nope. Okay. Uh, finally, number one. He is an Olympic gold medalist. A three-time heavyweight champion of the world. A global phenom. And a good-looking young man to boot. How good-looking? Ask the man himself. <laughs> I've had 180 <laughs> amateur fights, 22 professional fights, and I'm as pretty as a girl. He said prior to his first world title shot, I'm so pretty I can hardly stand to look at myself. He quipped once. And I think the man had a good point. It is, of course, Muhammad Ali. Look, age and Parkinson's ultimately took it all away from him, of course. But, you know, during his lengthy peak, he had it all. He was the smartest, the fastest, the wittiest, the prettiest, and the greatest. Muhammad Ali. Number yeah. one on my list. Yeah. Any, anybody with who pulled off the catchphrase, I'm so pretty. And and, <laughs> and, and it didn't seem out of place. Exactly. I think I, I think he's got to be, if not number one, I would say any list that didn't put him in the top three, I would dismiss as a as a as a crap list. Uh, he's one of the defining guys for this uh, this trait. Yeah. So there were a few other contenders who either weren't quite pretty enough or quite good enough. Uh, Chris Algieri nearly made it. Um, former, another Brit, former 168-pound titleist Robin Reed, who also did a little bit of um, modeling. Uh, Amir Khan, Vladimir Klitschko, maybe Pauli Malinaji, maybe Joe Calzaghi, maybe Jack Dempsey. Not exactly a pretty boy, but roguishly handsome, rather like us. Um, <laughs> Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, I'll tell you what was interesting. The estrogen Americans on my jury really found Gabriel Rosado to be a major hottie. Mm, um, interesting. Uh, 
wouldn't consider him a pretty boy, even if you thought he was handsome. But it was interesting, that reaction. Uh, they all liked, and one went absolutely gaga for AJ. Um, like, okay. majorly. I could see that, like, sure. Practically throwing underwear at the TV screen. <laughs> like, and running away with my copy of John Denon's biography of him. Like, super, which I totally get. I totally see. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, so you mentioned you sort of had an informal list. Who else we got on there? Anybody I'm missing? Yeah, well, so one thing that I'm a little surprised is that uh, he, he just got a quick mention in your also rans there with sugar ray leonard i I, to, I would have thought he would be high up now i i don't quite know how the how the uh women you consulted with uh feel <laughs> about him uh to me he was a classic pretty boy yeah. who fans much like oscar de la hoya some segment of the fans just refused to take him seriously until he'd beaten like every top guy and they yeah. finally had to concede that he's not just a pretty boy he actually is that good um so for for me sort of my unofficial top three in some order probably would have included Ray Leonard and and mm-hmm. then Ali and Oscar. Those are kind of the three that stood out to me. You didn't mention Canelo Alvarez at all. Uh, which... Interesting. I thought about Canelo and I wasn't quite sure, actually. Yeah, he probably deserves at the very least to mention now that you now that you bring him up. Yeah. If, if he doesn't come over to Showtime, it's your fault for not putting him in your uh, top five <laughs> list here. Um, and then there are two other names that I thought of that uh, could be considered that wouldn't have made my top five, but uh, in the honorable mention kind of category. The original golden boy, Art Aragon. Uh, from way back in the day. Uh, look him up if you're if you're unfamiliar. I remember I heard of him in my early days at the ring when we were writing stories about Oscar every few weeks uh, that uh, he, he was referenced here and there as the original golden boy of boxing. Um, and then uh, David Lemieux is another uh, I did think fella. about David. I should have at least put him in the uh, dimensions. I, I forgot about him. I absolutely had him on, under consideration. Yes. Okay. But uh, but no, that was a fun list. I think you did yeah. uh, you did a good job with it, and uh, I can't really assess too well the Gary Stretch choice yet. But I'll do my research afterwards and see. One thing, uh, see I, how you one did thing I, I will say that I was surprised by the Gabe Rosado suggestions. The jury was also very keen on Miguel Cotto, and I just thought there's no way I can get away with. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good. That's I'm a like, good. I'm like, I'm like, he has to be off limits because that's just, that's just too. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. You were, you were right to resist that. I think, although, <laughs> uh, but see, but I like what you did there. You worked it in that he appealed to the, right. the jury. <laughs> that, so yeah, no, that, that works. All right, uh, but uh, I think uh, this is a, a great opportunity for uh, some of our listeners to uh, to let us know what they think of, of your list. I, I approve of your list. I think it was strong, even if we weren't uh, in total lockstep. But uh, I'll definitely be curious on social media to see uh, what the listeners think. Uh, speaking of social media, it is time for the boxing tweet of the week as determined by a panel of one expert, me. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to say my Twitter timeline was a wee bit overrun with non-boxing stuff this week, uh, especially from Wednesday on. Kind of kind of hard to find the boxing tweets uh, in yeah. amongst everything else. Um, I thought about giving Ryan Garcia the tweet of the week for bluntly calling out Javante Davis in a tweet. Um, instead, though, as you did last week, I'm going with a tweet from a member of the boxing media. Uh, no videos of Mike Tyson eating shrooms this time. Um, <laughs> I'm turning to our friend and occasional podcast guest, Matt Christie, the editor of Boxing News, because he had a great conversation starter tweet. He tweeted, Desert Island Fights. You're going to a desert island. You can take footage of one fight from each of the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, and 2010s with you to watch. Which five fights would you wow. take? Um, it's, it's a fun question. Got a lot of engagement. I tweeted back my answers. So now I'm putting you on the spot, Kieran. Uh, it sounds from your reaction like you didn't see the tweet. Uh, so you haven't uh, given this any thought yet. Because this no. is spontaneous, dear listeners, please be forgiving. Uh, Kieran might fail to think of some obvious fight. It happens. Let's let's not hold him to this as his definitive final answers. This is more of a, a rough draft, a top-of-your-head response. I'm curious how you would answer the question, Kieran. And also, how psyched would you be to land on a desert island now during COVID? This is really the best (laughs) time for it in human history, right? So, I mean, even before COVID, it was my idea of paradise. (laughs) Right. So, um, uh, and presumably we're on this desert island without any social media or nuclear codes, right? So (laughs) I I would think so. (laughs) You basically have a, somehow there's a TV and a uh, a VCR there. And so you have a videotape that shows five fights and that's all you can watch. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. 70s, Foreman Lyle. Okay. Fine choice. Fine choice. Can't go wrong watching that over and over. 80s, Hagler Hearns. Okay. All right. 90s. When was first Barrera Morales? Was that just in the 2000s? Uh, that was in the year 2000, so that will not qualify. Ooh, that for doesn't count. Mm, <laughs> 90s, 90s. I'll, I'll let you, while you're stalling and thinking, I will note that uh, when I tweeted back at, uh, at Matt, I noted that I was ideally looking for stuff that went some rounds. Um, so that that's so I did not include Hagler right. Hearns. I went prior Arguello just because Ooh, I felt like only one. getting three rounds of Hagler Hearns wasn't wasn't quite enough. Um, I have and... a very short attention span. <laughs> OK, I'm just thinking if I'm rewatching these over and over and over, I want as much for my uh, for my money as possible. Oh, you know what? 90s. But... I'll do uh, Bo Holyfield, the first fight. Ah, OK, excellent choice. There you go. Two thousands. Right. I'm going to do, even though I like to always point out I was there. Corrales Castillo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 2010. I'll, 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 I'll pad your, uh, your thinking again a bit by just uh, letting you know exactly what was on my list uh, while you continue to think of 2010s. I, ha- I went with uh, the Thrilla in Manila for, my, for the 70s, uh, although you can't go wrong with Foreman Lyle, but again, I'm getting more rounds of the, out of the Thrilla sure. in Manila. And, and I wanted, when possible, to get like the highest skill level sure. as well to ad- admire, get a little Mah- uh, Muhammad Ali uh, on my videotape. Like I said, prior Arguello, I went Chavez Taylor for the 90s uh, and then our our consistent uh, difference of personal preference I right. went Ward Gaddy at first one yep so uh, I'll I go wa- Pacquiao Marquez 4 alright we are we are in agreement on one of these that's what okay. I went with for the 2010s as well but it's a fun topic huh that's a great topic. Yeah. Did he get a lot of responses? Uh, yeah, seemed like a lot of people were hitting him back. He was doing a lot of retweeting, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a cool question and a fun thing to to think about. It is excellent. All right, let's um, wrap this up with some outside the ring news, uh, and it was a slow news week in the boxing world, um, but the biggest news of the boxing week. Um, <laughs> The main event of this segment uh, is a quote from uh, one of the biggest stars in the sport, the aforementioned Anthony Joshua. Uh, he told Sky Sports News, uh, this isn't the start of my career. I'm coming towards the end of my career. I'm not someone who lives in the moment and thinks that everything is just like for now. I'm always planning ahead. So I'm coming towards the end of my career. Five years left. And that's basically an Olympic cycle. I've got an Olympic cycle and a little bit more left. So when you see the next Olympics happen, and by which he means presumably the next after the Olympics, right, um, is when I'll be coming to the end of my career and the next generation will be coming through. Uh, on the one hand, five years is a long time. But on the other hand, it's a bit unusual to hear a heavyweight star who's right in the thick of his physical prime talking about the end like this. Uh, what's your reaction to those comments from AJ? So Joshua turned 31 in October. So in five years, that means he'll be 36. That is a perfectly standard age for a heavyweight champion who's made a ton of money and by then will have been presumably in a lot of big, grueling fights. That's a perfectly reasonable time uh, for him to retire. So logically, it makes perfect sense. There's nothing crazy about the quote or the timeline. It's not like he said, two more years, then I'm out. Um, right. But yeah, as he said, what's interesting about it is the way he's talking about it. Um that quote, I'm coming towards the end of my career, for him to say that, that's kind of a strange place for him to be mentally when he really mm. is right smack dab in the heart of his prime mm. earning years. Um, and he's perhaps on the precipice of the biggest fight in British boxing history. Um, so I don't know, maybe you can accuse me of reading too much into it, but just hearing this makes m- me make him a tiny bit more of an underdog against Tyson Fury than I already was making him. Mm. Uh, AJ has been TKO'd once, and it's changed him a bit, uh, forced him to come to terms with his boxing mortality. You hear a little bit of that, I think, in this quote. Like, you know Fury would come into that fight 100% certain he's going to win. Whether he does or doesn't actually win it, that's his mentality coming in. I don't think Joshua carries the same confidence. All that said, if we get five more years of Anthony Joshua boxing, that's fine. That's great. To ask for any more than that as a fan would be greedy, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so that's the main event of the Newsweek, uh, the Boxing Newsweek, as you said. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have much of an undercard to the Boxing Newsweek, but here goes with a few quick items. First one is related to AJ. Uh, this week in New Excuses for a Loss, <laughs> Kubrat Pulev promoter Ivelo Gatsev told Sky Sports that Pulev was weakened by COVID heading into his fight with Joshua, which AJ did win by ninth round KO. Uh, also, one semi-notable fight was announced this week. The February 25th Ring City USA card has a main event. It's the rescheduled junior middleweight fight between Brandon Adams and Sergei Bohachuk. And we end on a positive note. Hall of Fame referee Joe Cortez, who contracted COVID toward the end of 2020, is reportedly on the mend after being hospitalized. He's 77 years old in a dangerous demographic for the virus. So that is very good to hear that he appears to be coming out the other side. Uh, Kieran, any quick comments on any of these items? Um, first of all, very happy that Joe Cortez is uh, is apparently uh, on the mend. Uh, good dude. I've always liked Joe. And uh, yeah, just very happy that, that he seems to be coming better. Um, I, I'm a bit confused by the Pulev thing because was there any indication? Have I missed something? Was there indication beforehand? that he'd had COVID at any point, or is this just some, is this the first we're hearing about it? Uh, no, I think that we knew that well before the fight he had had COVID. I think we knew that. I could be making that up in my mind, but I think that was known, but that it had been, you know, supposedly all behind him and that, mm. and that, and that now we're sort of hearing them claiming that he wasn't all the way back. Uh, well, I guess it's possible. I mean, we don't yeah. know, right? right? So it's possible. It is not the worst excuse. No. Of 2020 from a person who lost the heavyweight title fight. No, no, it is definitely not. <laughs> it, it's it's almost a downright reasonable excuse that, that, that might well be true. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right, that will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, thanks again to our guest, Barry Tompkins. Uh, we will be back next week to go more in-depth on both Showtime triple headers and make our first official predictions of 2021, at the end of which I will have Raskin just... <laughs> <laughs> I uh, until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.